0: I'm reminding you that a volunteer, Charlie Fabian, has agreed to receive and transmit to us any suggestions, comments, requests uh, for materials or topics that we can look into for possibly presenting on this program. If you have such suggestions, please email them as follows charlie.info 438. At gmail.com. Once again, charlie.info438 at gmail.com. Today's program might be called U.S. Capitalism at a Crossroads. Things that have been developing over time have accumulated. Whether they be cans kicked down the road rather than problems solved, or they're simply the way capitalism as a system works. It's now clear to me that we are accumulating so many of them that we better understand that we are at a crossroads and basic decisions are going to have to be made sooner or later. And it's probably now quite much sooner. So let me begin with part A of this story. And that is the labor movement upsurge of recent years here in the United States. It became particularly noteworthy in the year just past, 2023. According to the Cornell University uh, Labor Relations and so forth uh, Center, uh, they have what they call a labor action tracker. According to them, there were 413 strikes in 689 locations in the United States from January 1 of 2023 until nearly the end of December of that year. If you add labor protests, so it wasn't a formal strike, but it was a protest often different from or alternative to or prior to a strike, then the numbers jump even higher. 988 total strikes and protests, and in 1,379 locations. Here's another index. Wikipedia reports that the number of workers on strike in 2022 was 120,600. 120, Whereas in 2023, the next year, and this isn't the whole year, just through November, it was 471,000 workers, almost four times the number of workers on strike in 2023 compared to 2022. Now, many of the strikes this last year were very notable, got a lot of publicity, which is remarkable because strikes typically get minimal publicity. Now it's true the strikes were in big, well known location. The Writers Guild, the thousands and thousands of professional writers, SAG AFTRA, the actors and all the people out there in Hollywood and in in that in the filming industry and TV in our country. The United Auto Workers, and the big strike they led against the Detroit, big three, Kaiser Permanente, a major hospital chain in the West Coast particular, the New York City nurses, students across the country in countless colleges and universities, professors too, doctors. And we're not even counting when a strike didn't happen, but came very close and really saw a mobilization of workers. What the Teamsters did and won from the United Parcel Service was a major moment of labor victory and labor mobilization and labor militancy here in the United States. In Los Angeles, the Hospitality Workers Union didn't have to have more than a one-day strike to get a very good settlement from the hotels in that city. According to CNN, Unions are flexing their muscles, I'm quoting now, in ways they haven't in decades. I was particularly struck by a recent Gallup poll that recorded a 61% of Americans randomly asked believe that unions help rather than hurt the U.S. economy. That's very different from decades of union bashing in the country that drove the popularity, the approval rate of unions to the kind of low depths that are now reserved for people in Congress, presidents, and folks like that. The Gallup conclusion, the pollster's conclusion, quote, labor unions are enjoying a moment of high public approval and strong belief In the benefits they offer to workers, businesses, and the economy. The BBC from Britain, looking at the labor situation in the United States, reached the following conclusion a strike culture has taken hold in the United States. That's the conclusion of the BBC. Before leaving this topic, I want to suggest. That the demands of working people are the end result of two historical processes we need to keep in our minds. The first is the tremendous blows against the American working class of the last 30 years. Here's what they are. Almost without exception across the last 30 years, year by year, and in some years, very dramatic, the gap between rich and poor has gotten worse. Taxes on the rich and corporations were lowered much more than they were lowered for anybody else. High-paying jobs disappeared either because of automation or because they were exported to other countries where American corporations could pay workers less. I could go on. You know the story. That was a slow, steady, year-by-year year widening of the gap between rich and poor. And then there were the two crashes we've recently had. The 2008 and 9 so-called subprime mortgage crash, which threw into unemployment millions of American workers. Deprived millions of their homes because they could not afford the mortgage payments. A very serious blow to the American working class. A few years later, the horrific pandemic in which our health system proved to be incapable Together with our political and ideological systems of protecting over a million Americans from being killed by that disease. A poorer medical performance than many, many other countries were able to achieve if you ask what proportion of people died relative to population. And we're not done. Another crash in 2020 associated with the pandemic, and we're still not done. A terrible inflation right afterwards. And then rising interest rates to make the credit upon which American working people depend that much more expensive for them than it had been. It's too much. If you subject the working class to blow after blow like this, you cannot be surprised with the result that has happened before, a reaction, a recognition, an aha moment when workers say, wait a minute, what can we do to stop this? The system isn't stopping. It, it hits us with one thing after another. And so the union is one of the very few things To which people, working people, can look as perhaps a way forward. And what might strike you as interesting is that that's what happened after 1929. When the depression of 1929 lasted into 1930, 31, 32, 33, peaking in 1933. It was too much. And the working class turned to unions on a scale that we've never had before or since until now. When, for similar reasons, you see that kind of movement, what is the United States going to do? Adjust to it? Meet it head on? Provide another New Deal the way that was fashioned in the 1930s? Or not. That's the crossroads that the labor militancy has brought us to. In part B, and there are only two parts to today's show, I want to show you how American capitalism is at another kind of crossroads at the same time, and they're related. The French economist Thomas Piketty, back in 2014, in his book, capital in the 21st century, devoted hundreds of technical pages in economics to showing, and no one has refuted it, that capitalism is a system that wherever and whenever it becomes the economic system of an area of the world undertakes a process of inequality. In other words, It makes the gap between rich and poor wider and deeper. And the only thing that prevents that occasionally from happening is if there's a reaction. If the mass of people in reaction to growing inequality say, stop, we will not tolerate. And they make, if you like, a political intervention in the economy to undo the inequality that capitalism, left to itself, always generates. Piketty showed it, and our history is the proof. And let's take a look at how it went in the 1930s when we come back from our mid-program break because it will allow us to see how we're at a crossroads because what's happening to us isn't the first time that capitalism fell apart? Isn't the first time that capitalism produced a level of inequality that forced more and more people to sooner or later say, stop, this is intolerable? I could at this moment make jokes about Elon Musk. The headline I read today said that if the statistics continue the way they are, Mr. Musk will be the world's first trillionaire within 10 years. Let me remind you, the total GDP, the total output of goods and services in the important country, Russia, per year is one and a half trillion dollars. So within 10 years, Mr. Musk will dispose of as much wealth as Russia does. You have to go back to the ancient pyramids to see that. We've come to the end of the first half. Stay with us. American Capitalism at the Crossroads will be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's Economic Update. We're talking about American Capitalism at the Crossroads. And just before the break, I tried to make the point that what we're going to do today in this second half is take a look at what happened after the great crash of 1929 and then show, as I think I can, that we're going through a very similar process now. And there might be valuable lessons for now that we can draw by looking back then. Okay, in the decades before 1929, decades, by the way, referred to, at least in part, as the so called Gilded Age of American history, there were also extremes of wealth and poverty. Those were the years when names like Rockefeller and Carnegie and J.P. Morgan were the, the wealthy titans of their time with untold wealth. At the same time that a massive immigrant working class was settling in to American cities, and there was a boom for part of that, and then the boom went bust because the inequality proved too much. The system couldn't handle it. The investors were counting on the mass of people being able to buy more and more. But those same investors were pressing the businessmen and women to, to be profitable. And that often meant replacing workers with machines, replacing native workers with immigrants, who therefore didn't have enough money to buy back what was coming out of the very productive factories of American capitalism. The system blew itself up in nineteen. 19- 29 and it didn't just do it in the United States it did it around the world and then here comes the interesting material. Then we saw a split. Some countries tried to get their foundering capitalist ship back on top of the ocean able to move, able to function. Some of them did it by moving the country sharply, to the left, politically, and others sharply to the right. The left represented here in the United States by Franklin Roosevelt, the New Deal, and all of that. And the right represented by Hitler in Germany, Mussolini in Italy, Franco in Spain. In their different ways they brought in the government. To stabilize capitalism, FDR did it from below by giving masses of working people financial support so they could have a job. If not in the private sector, the government hired millions of people in this country. And it provided the social security system that gave millions more elderly people a decent pension. Toward the end of their lives, unemployment compensation, the first minimum wage. These were worker friendly movements for the government to restore a capitalism from below. Fascism, Italy, Spain, uh, Germany, the opposite. There, the government came in and imposed labor on the mass of people. It was employer friendly. Government brought in. Yes, in both cases, the government became powerful, but in radically different ways. The fascists destroyed the unions, versus in the FDR, the government worked closely together with unions, did not only not smash them, but supported the unions in their organizing drive. You could not have a bigger difference. And now even more important, all of the fascist efforts failed. Hitler had 13 years. Mussolini started earlier a bit more. Franco lasted the longest, but he was the least important. In every one of the cases in Europe, Germany, Italy, and Spain, with the failure of moving to the right, what those societies did is then move to the left. They did, after their right-wing interlude, the same thing that Roosevelt had done in the United States. They have a different name for it in those countries. It's called social democracy. And you know what they ended up doing? They produced a better social security system than we have. They went even further. I'll give you the German example. It's the law in Germany if a company has 2,000 or more workers, that the workers elect a little less than half the board of directors of the company. Nothing like that happened in the United States. They went further to the left than happened in the United States because the effort to stabilize capitalism from the right didn't succeed. And what else did they have in common? They all didn't question the organization of the workplace, the factory, the office, the store, employer, employee. That they all maintained. The fascists, the communists, and everything in between. So one of the lessons for today, well, we we don't have a 1929 crash, yet. But we may be living through a 1929 crash in slow motion. In other words, the same breakdown of the system, but happening slowly. Capitalist country after capitalist country unable to solve its problems. Watching the problems get worse but almost helplessly unable to figure out what to do. And the pressure rises because the relentlessly deepening inequalities are equivalently, endlessly intolerable for more and more people. And you're beginning to see the lurching to the right the renewed interest in fascism, and in the policies of fascists. And we shouldn't be surprised, because the left-wing movement in the United States during the Great Depression, the alliance of the unions, the socialists, the communists, President Roosevelt, alliance with the Soviet Union during World War II, It led to that famous decision at the end of the war, 1945, to roll back the New Deal, to make the last 70 years a period of steadily undoing that lurch to the left. Just as the Europeans were offsetting their lurch to the right in Germany, Italy, and Spain. Americans were offsetting their lurch to the left. But given that, and given the power of the United States to make it, the whole world lurch to the right with it, at least part of the way, what have we got? Well, we've got a crisis of capitalism deepening, not yet a crash, although who knows? We get pretty close, the year 2020, 2021 was pretty close. The year 2008 and nine was pretty close. Those were the two worst collapses of capitalism since the Great Depression. Let's not forget. Well, what we're seeing are lurches to the right very quickly. First in Great Britain, it's called Brexit. The absurd crisis of England, in which the mass of people are suffering terribly since the 2008 and 9 crash, are enraged at the society that will not take care of them anymore, but are cleverly manipulated by the conservatives into deciding that the problem isn't capitalism and inequality, the problem is Europeans. And if only Britain will exit from the European community, Brexit, well, that'll solve their problems. And so they follow the conservatives, lurch to the right, blame European immigrants, et cetera, for their problems. Well, they got Brexit in 2016, and England is in much worse shape economically today than they were then, and the conservatives are about to be kicked out of power later this year at an election and everybody knows it and every poll shows it. Then in the United States, we see it again. Trump, an angry, bitter, upset, disappointed working class, suffering all the pressures I've described, seeing the conventional political apparatus You know, the center of the Republican Party, the center of the Democratic Party, doing the same thing for the last 50 years, playing musical chairs, who's president, who runs the Congress, but changing nothing. The Democrats unable to prevent the rollback of the New Deal. The Republicans busily promoting the rollback of the New Deal. And so an angry working class begins to look at people like Trump. Trump was in office for four years. Did he change the inequality, the deepening inequality? Not at all. He worsened it. Did he change anything basic about the American capitalist system? No. And he won't, he won't if he gets reelected either. A little bit more troubling? In Argentina, the Malay government, what is that about? In Italy, the Maloney government, they're also moving to the right. They're also imagining a libertarian fantasy that if they cut back the government or they cut back government regulation, that will be the magic bullet that somehow gets their capitalism going. Italy is the most indebted country in Europe. In many ways, it's already following in the footsteps that Greece had to go through over the last 20 years of economic retrenchment. And covering it over with a right-wing lurch, not going to help them all that much. And I'll make a prediction, which I rarely do. I don't much believe in it. But as you exhaust these right-wing lurches, Brexit, Trump, Millet, Maloney, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get what you got in the 1930s, a boomerang effect. It's going to turn around, and you're going to follow it with the left. The polls in England indicate that the Labour Party, will be the new government in Britain. The Labour Party is their left major party. It isn't all that left. It was so frightened of going to the left that it got rid of a real left leader, Mr. Corbyn, a few years ago. But that's not going to change the basic dimensions of this situation. Capitalism is at a crossroads, as it was in the 1930s which way are you going to go? Only this time there's a new dimension. No one is going to allow these decisions to be made without also questioning what was not questioned in the 1930s. Are these problems solvable if you continue with the employer-employee way of organizing workplaces? Or is a transition to democratic worker co-op alternatives part of any necessary solution now. Thank you for your attention, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Listening to KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles and on the web at kpfk.org, Pacifica Radio for all of Southern California and beyond. To Conversations on the Way. I'm your host, Nana Jumpy, and I'm looking forward to sharing conversations at the various intersections of liberation for the people and the planet with you. Thank you for being here with us. Today's conversation is at the intersection of the frying pan and the fire.